This is Penny Radio. Thank you for tuning in. I'm James Whittington, and I'm here to help you master your money. Whether you're a complete beginner or have been around the block once or twice, now is the time to start your journey and take control of your finances. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Hello and welcome to Penny Radio, the podcast that will help you take control of your financial future with your hosts, Craig James and James Whittington. Hi, Craig. How's it going? Not too bad, James. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for asking. Are you looking forward to today's episode? Immensely. What are we talking about? We're going to be talking about some of the legal aspects of personal finance. Uh, We're going to be looking at things like wills, powers of attorney and trusts and why they're important to helping get to grips with your own finances. Well, I mean, I think I can solve this episode quickly because I wouldn't trust Will and I would never give him power of attorney. So. <laughs> yeah, fair point. <laughs> so for the un- uninitiated, James has a brother called Will who is, I mean, we haven't got time to go into the, the crimes of Will Whittington. <laughs> uh, you can probably just Google them. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. But don't Google them at work. Even if you're working from home. <laughs> so, Craig, apart from my brother, what's your understanding of will, or a will, and more importantly, why do you think it matters in the context of personal finance? Uh, a will is the document which sets out who gets all your stuff when you're dead. And it's terribly important because otherwise all your relatives will argue with each other about whether they should have the carriage clock that's sat on the mantelpiece for 35 years or because it has great sentimental value. And I, no, 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 it was a special item for me. Oh, no, 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 it was a special item for me. It was terrible. Well, I'm never speaking to you again. Who's going to get the carriage clock? No one's getting the carriage clock. I'm being buried with the carriage clock. I need to buy a carriage clock first, obviously. But anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it sets out what happens to all of your shit when you're dead. Yeah, pretty much. That sums it up. Most of us probably think, we're so far off dying, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you're, if you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s or 50s even, then it's, it's probably not really something that's at the forefront of your mind. You know, who cares what happens to your PS5 when you kick the bucket? But at the end of the day, it can actually happen to anybody, anytime. So it is something that we probably need to think about. James, why have you bought a PS5? You don't even have a telly. <laughs> well, I bought one off, off one of these bots. I'm just waiting for it to arrive. <laughs> I think the point is that as you get older, as you go through the fucking world's most boring adventure of adulting, it becomes more and more important to have a will in place, Uh, especially as you start building up more and more assets like, you know, cash investments. You know, as you get older, you might buy a house. Once you start building up those types of assets and investments, it can get a little bit murky, you know, in terms of what happens if you were to die. You know, it's not just you know, your dodgy collection of magazines under the bed anymore, Craig. It's, you know, something that's a little bit more tangible and a little bit more valuable to the people that you leave behind. So you're right, Craig, a will effectively helps to ensure that you leave your family in a financially secure situation if the worst was to happen to you. So what happens if you don't have a will? And I guess that's the big question. Why do you need one? Well, if you don't have a will and you die, then it's called dying intestate. And that's where things can get quite messy depending on who you leave behind. And just to confuse things even further, there's different rules in England and Wales as there are in Scotland and then Northern Ireland. But effectively, you, it can lead to some arguments. It can lead to people uh, not getting what you would probably want them to get. 
And it can mean that people who were dependent on you may not get the assets or the money that they need to carry on living. And the reason for that is because under law, there's a very certain order of people that get the money that you leave behind. If you die without a will in place, i.e. if you die intestate, and you leave behind a spouse or a civil partner and no one else, like no children, but you have other family, it doesn't matter. Your spouse or your civil partner basically inherits everything. All your money, your personal possessions, Craig's magazine collection, you know, all the love letters from all your exes. And when I say civil partner, I mean a legal civil partner. It's not just somebody that you're you know, going out with or you've lived with forever. So that's worth bearing in mind and making a distinction between somebody that you are basically a life partner with or live with. Now, if you die leaving a spouse or a civil partner behind and you leave kids, then your partner will get all your personal possessions, all your old VHS tapes, your Atari, all that kind of stuff. But you'll also leave them the first £270,000 worth of your estate. Your estate is what you leave behind, by the way. And any money left over the £270,000 gets split equally so that your civil partner or spouse will get 50% of that remainder. And then the other 50% gets divided up equally amongst your kids. And when I say kids, I mean your natural or your adopted kids. But unfortunately, under the law, stepkids or kids you're the guardian of don't count. This is where it can start sort of throwing up a few issues if you've got stepchildren that you want to leave money to if you were to die. If you don't have a will, then unfortunately, under the law, they won't get anything. If you don't have a spouse or a civil partner, but you do have children when you die, then basically your children will just inherit everything between them equally. Uh, Again, stepchildren, unfortunately, will not count as inheriting part of your estate. But then if you don't have a civil partner or a spouse and you don't have children, then your close relatives will inherit your estate, uh, depending on who you leave behind. So if you've got parents, then your parents will split everything equally between them. If not, and you've only got siblings, then the siblings will split everything between them. If there's no siblings and no parents left, then any grandparents that are left. If none of the above apply, then any aunts or uncles that you may have left. And if there's literally no one, then the crown inherits it, i.e. the government will inherit whatever you leave behind. That's obviously not an ideal situation because say you're caring for somebody and they want you to have some money when they die, but they don't put it into a will, then you won't get anything if you're not a relative and there's no will. You can make a case uh, to claim a share from the government, but it's unlikely they'll actually uphold that. And if they do, it'll only be a small amount. But it can just lead to either the wrong people inheriting money or no one inheriting the money that you want. Having a will in place helps avoid that. I mean, as you can see, that's probably okay back in the day when family structures were fairly straightforward and, you know, followed a certain pattern, you know, typical family, you have your kids, blah, 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 you leave them, whatever. But these days, where lots of people have different partners throughout their life, some they get married to, some they don't, some they have children with, some they don't. Maybe they have children with people who aren't their partners. And all of that can mean that, Actually, the people you want to inherit don't inherit, and it's just your weird old uncle Albert in the corner that gets everything. You probably want to avoid that situation. And I think as family structures get more and more complicated, wills play a more and more important part in personal finance. 
Then there's another little quirk in the law as well, which I don't think many people know about. And it says that if you and your spouse or your civil partner die at the same time, say you died in a car crash, then whoever's oldest is deemed to have died first. So if you're younger than your partner and you both died in a car crash, say your partner had a million pounds sitting in the bank they hadn't told you about, as you were younger, you will have deemed to have survived for longer. That means that you will inherit that money. Uh, but because you then died pretty much straight away, your family will then inherit it from you. Meaning that your spouse's family wouldn't get anything and your family would get everything. It's a, a bit of a weird quirk to the law and it can just mean that... As a, as a husband with a, a wife that's a little bit older than me, I'll be fucking quit in for a few seconds. <laughs> Well, as the opposite way around, I'm quids out then. <laughs> no. Same generation, Emily's uh, Emily Gen X, and then I'm, or is it Gen Y? We're millennials, yeah, right? I think we're millennials, yes. Yeah. But then Gen Z is the most, is the newest thing, or Gen Z. Emily's not quite a millennial, and I'm just a millennial. <laughs> Well, your uh, your lookalike is also a millennial, Macaulay Culkin. Yes, that's true. He is. Yeah. He's the, the millennial, uh, millennial icon. Yeah. Well, he's the oldest millennial that you can be, or the oldest age you can be as a millennial. Is that right? Huh. Well, I don't know if he's literally sure. the oldest. I mean, he's the oldest age. A millennial elder statesman. Sounds fantastic. He's a hipster millennial, and he's the oldest hipster millennial. It's fantastic. I think uh, Justin Timberlake is actually one year too old to be a, a millennial. Is that right? When was, mm. when was Timberlake born? I think he's 42, so I think that's too old. Uh, fair enough. I may have completely made that up. Sorry, Justin, if you're listening. And if you are listening, then tell your friends so we get more listeners, you fucker. Yeah, don't be selfish. Keep it us all to yourself. You bastard. Anyway, uh, getting back to the usefulness of a will... Uh, another thing that you can do in your will is specify who you want to be your children's guardian. Say you wanted a friend to take care of them instead of a sibling you don't get on with. You can use the will to leave, to, not to leave your children to them, but to specify that you would prefer that person to be their guardian. I specify in my will that uh, giant haystacks please take care of the children in the event of my death. So. <laughs> then it has to be Big Daddy. What about Macaulay Culkin? I mean, that's just irresponsible. He's a maniac, James. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, true. He would leave them at home alone as well, wouldn't he? Oh, James. You didn't have to go there, did you? You didn't have to <laughs> But basically, apart from that, a will can be used for several other things, such as uh, helping to avoid or reduce inheritance tax and for setting up trusts. Uh, but they're a bit more advanced topics, not really relevant for the majority of people until later in life. So it's probably not worth going into too much detail on that here. Uh, you can also use a will to leave some of your money to charity. So basically, a will sets out exactly who you want to inherit your property and how much and what they'll get. So it makes things a lot cleaner, make sure the people you leave behind are taken care of in the way you want them to be taken care of, and hopefully causes less arguments. I mean, if you're the kind of person that thrives on causing chaos, then you know it might be the ultimate fuck you to just spend all your life accumulating a load of assets for the whole sole purpose of then dying without a will and a really confusing family structure, that might be an option that you might want to consider. Sounds great. The approach I've taken is, so I have a document that sets out that uh, my possessions pass to the dog and then the dog's possessions 
passed to the cat and then the cat's possessions passed back to me. So I've created a loop. The children are to be looked after by giant haystacks. And if he's not available, then it's Big Daddy. And then if he's not available, it's Rollerball Rocco. And if he's not available, it's Diet Mike Kid. And then if he's not available, then just whoever, you know. <laughs> that all four of those people I mentioned are dead, so that might not work. I might. <laughs> so whoever's just passing on the street, then basically we'll have to look after your kids. Well, they have to, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll probably specify some criteria that they have to meet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, to be to have to have been involved in the British wrestling scene in the 80s. That's, uh, that's pretty key. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, Craig, say you did want to actually update that will and make it a little bit more relevant to um, real world situation. If you wanted to do that or create a new will, what do you think you would need to do to make that happen? Well, first, I'm insulted. Uh, and second, I, I mean, I assume I'll just need to get the tipex out and then I'm fine. No, unfortunately not. So, a will has to be a written document. So it has to be a physical hard copy. You have to make it willingly. So someone can't force you to make a will. And if that can be proven, then it won't be valid. To write a will, you have to be 18 years old or over. Uh, you have to be of sound mind, which means that you have the mental capacity to know and understand what it is that you're doing. Then you must sign it in the presence of two witnesses, and then they must sign it afterwards. And your witnesses cannot benefit from your will. So they can't receive anything. They also cannot be married to beneficiaries of your will. So if you leave something to your brother, you can't get your brother's partner to witness your will. So they're the main criteria that you have to uh, have to form a legal will. And if you want to update your will, you have to basically destroy your old one. Now, you can find templates online to write your own will. However, I wouldn't really recommend that. I'd recommend using a solicitor or a will writing company to write it because unfortunately, it's quite common that DIY written wills are invalid because the uh, correct legal wording hasn't been used or the correct protocols haven't been followed when it comes to witnesses. And that means that if the will is invalid, your wishes won't be followed and then you'll effectively die in test state. It's actually pretty cheap these days to get a professionally written will. It can be as little as £35 from a will writing service if you if you just want a basic one. So it's certainly worth getting done properly. And you should always make sure that your will is updated if there's been any like major changes in your life. For example, if you've got married, well, if you've got married, it usually makes any existing will invalid. But be warned, if you get divorced, it won't cancel your will. If you get divorced, make sure you update it. Uh, you should also rewrite your will if you have kids or if you have any sort of major assets that you buy or sell, like property. I'll put a link in the show notes about how to make a will. So if you are in that position where you don't have one, you'd like to know, you'd be able to follow those steps and then uh, then write a will for yourself or get one written for you. That pretty much sums up wills. The next topic we're going to talk about is something called lasting powers of attorney. Uh, these aren't really widely known. They're not as well known as wills. But arguably, they're just as important. Craig, do you know what a power of attorney is? In sort of general terms, I've, I've only really come across it when dealing with situations through work where an elderly person is no longer able to make decisions for themselves. So they've given power of attorney to a, one of their children who can then decide what happens to their finances and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, you were my certificate provider for my uh, power of attorney. I did. What do I get for that? Do I get like Sparkle. money? Am I going to be? Am I going to be in your will now? 
No. Well, you, you can inherit this cat and the dog if you want. I've already got one. I've already got one of each, thanks. I'm good. Okay, well, you can inherit any of my future children. <laughs> Great. <laughs> And if I do happen to have any, you might be able to inherit them while I'm still alive. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, you're right. It's basically another legal document that sets out what happens if you lack the mental capacity to make decisions on your own behalf. They're usually used when older people start to get brain degenerative disorders such as dementia. But obviously, this can happen at any age. You can suddenly lack capacity if, for example, you're in an accident and it may be temporary. You know, if you're in a sort of temporary coma or you're in hospital and you can't look after yourself, you can't make decisions. You know, that's when a power of attorney can kick in. Power of attorney, that's used when people start to get degenerative um, brain disease like dementia. Yes. So I don't know if I told you, Craig, but a power of attorney is uh, something that older people use when they start to get brain degenerative disorder. Oh, like dementia? Yeah, exactly like dementia. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. That's that's, that's a good idea. But obviously that can happen at any age. And younger people, they can also suffer from brain degenerative disorders. They can suffer from accidents. And it kicks in for anything that's where you lack capacity, no matter how temporary. So... Even if you got really, really drunk and you were completely out of it for three days, then, you know, technically you don't have capacity at that point. So a power of attorney could apply. But who has your power of attorney on your stag do? <laughs> Luckily, I didn't have one at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't think I've ever fully recovered. I think the uh, brain degenerative disorders kicked in from there. <laughs> I think this has actually probably come to forefront of people's thinking a little bit more recently with coronavirus and people being put on ventilators for quite long periods of time, not being able to look after themselves or make decisions, then this is where, you know, powers of attorney can, you know, really kick in and, and really be quite useful. Same with wills as well, right? But who cares, right? If you can't think for yourself or make decisions, then someone, you know, a relative or the state, they're going to look after you. And if you don't know what's going on, well, what does it really matter? Well, yeah, that's what you might think. But basically, it's not as simple as that, because if you don't have something in place, then it's really, really complicated for somebody close to you to be able to get the power to make the decisions for you. They have to go to court and it can take quite a long time. It can take months and it can be very, very expensive to get the power. And then once they have that power, then it may be quite limited. It may not be the same powers that you would have given them if you had a choice. And they may not have, you know, full authority over everything that you'd want them to. They may not be able to you know, make decisions in the way that you would want them to make them either. There's actually two types of powers of attorney split between health and wealth. They basically set out who can make decisions for you when it comes to those two pretty important topics. Uh, you can specify and limit what decisions your chosen attorneys can make for you and when they can make them. And a health and welfare one let somebody decide what type of care you will receive. They can make certain medical decisions for you, such as whether you receive certain medical treatment or not. Uh, whereas the wealth or the property and financial affairs power of attorney lets your chosen attorney access your money to spend it on your care and living costs. They can buy and sell property for you, invest your money for you, uh, for your future. They can make sure your bills are paid on time as well. All those kind of useful things that if you can't actually do that yourself, 
then you know your bills won't get paid and all sorts of various other things might not happen which can cause financial distress which you might not necessarily be able to sort out yourself and interestingly enough with a uh, property and financial affairs one you don't actually have to have lost capacity for somebody to act as your attorney so if you really don't like dealing with money and you don't like any sort of decision making when it comes to how to pay your bills you'd rather have someone else do it for you and somebody's willing to do that then you can make them your attorney and they will do it for you, even if you've still got capacity to make your own decisions. To create a power of attorney, there's some similar rules uh, like with uh, will making as well. You must be 18 or over and you must have mental capacity at the time. So if you're drunk at the time, then it won't count. Uh, Your attorneys must also be 18 or over and have mental capacity. You need to be able to complete all the relevant forms. A solicitor can help you, but that will cost you money or you can do it yourself. Uh, you need to get them signed by the relevant people, which would be a witness for you, your chosen attorneys and their witnesses, and a certificate provider. And the certificate provider's job states that you understand what you are doing when you're giving people power of attorney. So that's what you did for me, Craig. You were, you stated that I knew what I was doing, which is probably a, a dangerous thing. Well, I, mean, I think that's, that's always going to be uh, you know, 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you signed it, so there you go, you're liable. No, I'm joking. Once you've filled out the forms, and they're set forms, so it's not like you've got to write the document yourself, which makes things a lot easier if you want to do it yourself. Once you've completed the forms, they've all been signed, you then register the forms with the Office of Public Guardian. Now, you have to register them while you still have mental capacity, and it costs £82 per lasting power of attorney. So if you have both types of lasting power of attorney, it's £164 in total, and that's per person. You know, if both you and your partner want to do powers of attorney and you want both types, both health and wealth, that's going to cost you £164 each to register it. It can be quite expensive, but like I said earlier, if you don't have them in place, it'll be a lot more expensive for the people that have to try and make those decisions on your behalf to go to court to get those decisions put under their power. Just to clarify on a point, you know, earlier you discussed spouse or your civil partner gets everything so with power of attorney does your spouse or civil partner by default get your your power of attorney if you're not mentally capable is it a similar Mm. situation or is it different no unfortunately they don't and that's what a lot of people think and they they think oh well you know my wife will be able to act for me uh unfortunately it's not the case and even more frustratingly if you've got joint accounts with you know your your partner Uh, You own a property jointly because if they don't have a power of attorney, then they can't access those assets. So in some instances, they won't even be able to access their own money in a joint account, which can make it really hard for them to look after themselves as well. They'll have to go to court to basically get those assets unfrozen. They wouldn't be able to sell a house that you own jointly with them, for example. It can suddenly become a right pain in the ass just when they're trying to deal with what's a pretty like difficult situation, an emotional situation as well. They've got to deal with you know looking after you if you can't make your own decisions, uh, looking after your care and everything. But if they don't actually have the power to make the proper decisions and they can't even access their own money in some instances, it can just add a whole nother sort of level of pressure and worry on top of them and a whole nother sort of level of bureaucratic crap they've got to go through just to try and access their own money, for example. So. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no sort of 
designated default option on this. It's you have to go to court uh, if you don't have a power of attorney in place for a person to apply to be their attorney. I mean, like wills, people know decent amount about wills and why they're important, but powers of attorney tend to slip under the radar. Yeah, equally as important because whilst everybody dies, there's normally a point in most people's lives, especially in an aging population where they're still alive but have lost capacity. You know, nobody has access or nobody can help them. And it's, it just makes things a, a lot more difficult. That's effectively why they're, they're so important. You know, when you write a power of attorney, you can actually leave instructions within the document itself to your uh, chosen attorneys as to how they should act on your behalf. It's worth speaking to your chosen attorneys beforehand so they know what your wishes are and what the limits of their powers are. If you have it in place, then it, you can you know, specify how strict you want to be, how much, you know, how limited the powers are, uh, or how wide you want them to be. You basically get the choice of selecting who you want to make the decisions for you, how you want them to make those decisions for you, and in what areas they make those decisions as well. If somebody has to go to court, then they may not get the same level of power or be able to make the same types of decisions as if a power of attorney was in place. So if you have the powers of attorney set up, then as soon as you lose mental capacity, the people you've chosen can make the decisions you want them to make. Like I said, I mean, unfortunately, even if people are aware of it, sometimes they still leave it a little bit too late. They don't correctly set up lasting powers of attorney before they lose mental capacity or they don't register them before they lose mental capacity. That means that they don't have the people they wish making the decisions they want them to. There was another question. So the power of attorney kicks in when you have diminished mental capacity. How is that assessed? Because you might not think you have, but someone else might think you have diminished. How is that determined? So like I said, with the financial one, you don't actually have to have lost mental capacity for somebody to act on your behalf. If you, if you want them to act, you can select on the form that you want them to act whilst you still have mental capacity. Say you select that you want it to be only when you lose capacity. And with the health one, it's only once you've lost capacity as well. That's determined by a uh, medical professional. You provide that evidence to the Office of the Public Guardian then you can start acting as an attorney for that person. There's a whole sort of legal and medical aspect to it, but largely it's quite clear when somebody's lost capacity. But obviously there are cases where it, it is difficult and sometimes that ends up in sort of wider legal battles. But I mean, like, you know, in the average case, it's, it's probably not going to go down that way. It's probably going to be a fairly clear-cut case. Yeah. I don't think you've got to worry about Brittany happening to you, mate. No, it's unlikely that Brittany will happen to me. <laughs> and this is an important thing, actually, when setting up Larson Powers of Attorney. Uh, be sure to select people that, firstly, you trust, obviously, uh, trust to make the right decisions for you. But also, secondly, who are relatively young and fit. Uh, because if they lose mental capacity, so if your attorneys lose mental capacity or die before you do, and you have not registered a new Larson Power of Attorney, then the one that you have and that you have registered becomes invalid and you'll be back to square one. It's always worth giving your attorney a quick call just to be like, you know, give them a quick sort of a Trump-esque type mental capacity test. And if, uh, if they don't pass it, then, um, you know, to write a new power of attorney pretty swiftly because otherwise, like I say, you end up back at square one. You don't have somebody that will be able to act on your behalf. 
Uh, but I'll put uh, links in the show notes again about how to set up Larson Powers of Attorney and what your duties are if you've actually been chosen to be somebody's attorney. So I think that pretty much wraps up that section. So now on to uh, the last section we're going to cover on, on today's episode, and that's trusts. And this is probably the most complex area of personal finance and the legal side of things. So I don't think we need to get into that much detail. We'll just cover what they actually are. Do you know what a trust is? Not in personal finance terms, no. Okay, so I think there might be some initial perceptions of a trust as being something that rich kids have, like a trust fund baby. And yeah, that's one use of a trust. But actually, there's some quite important everyday uses of trusts that could benefit a lot of people. A trust is basically a legal arrangement that creates what's almost like a separate legal body or structure. And it's a relationship between a person that's giving up assets or money. They're what's known as the settler. Uh, They're giving it up for the benefit of another person or organization or whatever. That person or organization is called a beneficiary. And the structure itself, so the separate legal body or the trust, is actually managed by people called trustees. They look after the assets on behalf of the beneficiaries, and they'll pay out any money to them according to the type of trust and the instructions that were put in place when the trust was set up. So it sounds a bit confusing, but basically it's like a three-party agreement uh, that comes into play. And like I said, there's some really complex ones, but we'll look at a few simple ones that will help you make a bit more sense of them. So uh, first one, if a person dies and leaves money to their children in their will, if the children are under 18, then they're actually deemed too young in UK law to inherit that money. So what happens is a trust is automatically created and trustees are appointed, usually the people that the person has chosen to make sure their will is carried out properly. And those trustees will look after the money on behalf of the children until they reach 18, and then they'll inherit it in their own right. In that case, trustees can pay out the money to the children's guardians to pay for their food, maintenance, education, you know, any of their sort of needs. And then it's their responsibility, the trustee's responsibility, to invest the rest of it. They're actually required under law to make sure that the money is being used in the best interest of the beneficiaries. So that's probably one of the most common uses of trust in our sort of everyday society. Another common use is when life insurance is involved. Craig, you've got life insurance in your house, right? Or for when you took out your mortgage, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's effectively that if you die, then whoever's left uh, behind won't have to pay a mortgage anymore because the life insurance will cover it. Now, have you put that life policy into trust? Uh, No, I don't believe so. Okay, so what happens then is if you die, the, uh, the representatives of your estate when you die will have to claim on the life policy from the insurance company and the proceeds from that policy, so say it's, for example, it's £100,000, they get paid to your estate once the representatives have proven that you're dead and they've gone through all of the bureaucratic process that they have to go through to register everything. And then depending on what your will is or says, or if you don't have a will and you die in test state, then that's how that £100,000 will get divided up. So it may not actually be used to pay off the mortgage, which was its intended purpose, What happens in that case is it can actually take a really long time for your estate to be divided up amongst the people that you want to leave your your money to. 
all your financial affairs have to be settled. And it, it can take a couple of years for what's known as probate to be granted. Once probate is granted, that's when your estate can be divided up amongst the people that you want to inherit your money. Because that uh, life insurance money becomes part of your estate, it can also become liable for inheritance tax. If your total estate is over a certain amount, then that uh, life insurance money may actually get taxed at 40%. So whoever you leave that money to, may, you know, you may think, oh, they're getting £100,000. Well, they might not. They might only get £60,000 and they don't have enough to pay off the mortgage. It can actually be quite detrimental if you don't have a trust in place. Now, what a trust does is you set a trust up and you put the life policy itself within the trust. And that means that as soon as you die, all the trustees have to do is take a death certificate, show it to the life insurance company. They'll pay out the money to the trust instantly within a few days. So it won't take years. It can take you know, from beginning to end a couple of weeks maximum. Once they've paid it to the trust, uh, the trustees can then use it, depending on what the instructions of the trust say, to you know, pay off the mortgage or to give it to uh, the beneficiaries that you would want to receive the money. Whatever it is that you, that you want when you set that trust up, the trustees will have to follow those instructions uh, within their powers. Also, because it's within a trust, it's not part of your estate anymore. And very little, if any, inheritance tax would be due on that life insurance policy. So you can save up to 40% of that money. So there's real benefits to, if you've got a life policy, to putting it into trust. That shows kind of like a couple of the key benefits for trust generally as well. Trusts are a good tool to avoid or reduce inheritance tax. Uh, so, you know, if you're nearing the point where you're over the uh, exemptions that you get for inheritance tax, then they're a good way to help reduce that liability that, you know, your beneficiaries may pay when you die. Trusts actually provide a lot of flexibility depending on what type you set up as well. They actually allow the person giving up the benefits of the settler a lot more flexibility and a lot more options for giving money to people that they want to, both whilst they're still alive and when they die, compared to wills. For example, if you have children and you think that you will have grandchildren in the future, but don't currently have them, and you want to leave money to your grandchildren, you can set a trust up that will give your assets to your grandchildren without having to give them to your children first and hoping that your children don't spend it all and your grandchildren end up with nothing. Would you not be able to specify as part of your will that your grandchildren would be entitled to? I mean, if you did that, you'd be setting up a will trust to be able to do that anyway. So effectively, it would still be a trust that does that. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Other uses of trusts, especially when it comes to children, say you've got a child who can't look after their own money, either because they blow it all and can't be trusted or because they don't have the capacity to make their own decisions. You can set a trust up and the trustees of that trust, you know, you can write instructions so they'll always give them enough to live on, but not too much that they spend it all at once. And that arrangement could carry on even after you die. It's quite hard to do that via a will unless, again, you set a will trust up. You know, if you die and you just leave all the money to the children that you don't think can look after the money themselves, then it's not an ideal situation. But trust helps you get around that. Now, it is worth noting that once you put your money and assets into a trust, you often won't have any control or be able to access the money again, but you can be a trustee on the trust that you've set up. So you can still you know, have control over who gets it. You just wouldn't necessarily be able to access it for your own benefit. Okay, interesting. 
but it is worth noting that if you anyone who becomes a trustee so if you do form a trust and you ask people to be trustees there are quite a lot of requirements involved and some of them can be quite burdensome and complex there's also quite a lot of complicated tax rules around different types of trusts it's worth making sure that the trustees that you have in place are able to deal with that are able to understand that they can get legal and financial advice to help them. But selecting trustees that are young, fit and healthy with good mental capacity is normally ideal, especially because if you select, say, your parents as trustees and then at some point they die and there aren't any other trustees, then it can make running the trust really, really complex. It's always good to have at least one trustee that's you know younger than you, fitter than you, healthier than you just so that if all other trustees were to die, there'd still be someone there to manage the assets. I'll put some more links in the show notes explaining trusts in a bit more detail and the role and responsibilities of trustees as well. So say you did want to set one up, you know what you're uh, either getting into yourself or asking someone else to get into. So I think that wraps up sort of an explanation of the three key areas of the legal side of things when it comes to personal finance. In the spirit of the current series of knowing where you are so you know how to get to where you want to go, it's ideal to set a will up, uh, set powers of attorney up if you haven't already. If you already have them in place, now is a good time to check they're actually up to date and fully reflect your wishes. If not, then it's a good idea to update them. And how about your relatives? Have they or should they get up to date wills and powers of attorney in place? Have you been nominated as an attorney by someone else? If so, you probably need to familiarise yourself with the legal requirements of being an attorney, as well as the lasting power of attorney requirements within that specific document itself as well. Same when it comes to trusts as well. It's also a good idea to see if you're the beneficiary or a trustee of any trust that's been set up, uh, either by you or someone else, and to make sure that you're meeting all of the legal, financial and tax requirements you need to. Are you like Craig? Do you have life insurance? If so, is it written in trust? If not, Is it worth putting it in trust? All things like that are worth checking now. Now we're at the point of seeing where we currently are before we sort of move on to doing any further planning or doing any further actions. It's it's certainly worth seeing where you are in regards to all of those areas. I think that pretty much wraps everything up and it's a very quick and dirty dive into some of areas that can be quite complex. But I think it is really worth having that at least high level knowledge for now. How did you find that, Craig? I found it very illuminating. I'm starting to rethink um, some of my choices. I think perhaps it's uh, the dog might not be the best option. And uh, <laughs> well, having done some research, uh, I think I might have chosen the wrong people to take care of the children. So, uh, <laughs> Going to have to move on from those guys. I think pretty much every British wrestler from the eighties is dead, aren't they? Probably, yeah. Probably, except the guy who owns that pub. There's a pub in somewhere in Middlesex or somewhere. Some 80s British restaurants and pub, and every year is a get together for all the people that are still alive. And they go to his pub and they sort of tell stories about back in the day. So it's only him now, then? <laughs> There's not many people left now. That's because back then they were all like self medicating with pain pills and booze and taking shitloads of steroids. They weren't taking somas, they were getting drunk. And if they weren't on somas, they were on somewhere else. It was just mental. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded Davy Boy Smith was once headlining a pay-per-view that took place in, in London. It was at Wembley uh, Stadium, I think. So he was he was headlining the pay-per-view with fighting Bret Hart. And he was a bit the worst wear because he spent the previous three days leading up to the main event smoking crack. 
<laughs> shit like that is why they're all dead. Shit like that is why they are all dead. Yeah, there don't seem to be many people still around. No, it's not very good for you. It seems like it's a line of work that's quite bad for your health. Even the guys that are still alive are, you know, fucked. They can't move their hips or their neck or their back or their knees. <laughs> Great life. <laughs> Well, uh, while Craig goes away and rethinks who he's going to leave his kids to, that's it for today's episode. So thanks very much for tuning in to Penny Radio. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to our dulcet tones and have found the show useful, then help us help more people like you by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast on. Remember, only five stars or, as Craig will say, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, five stars or fuck off. There you go. That should be our motto. Hashtag five stars or fuck off. And, and don't don't be like, well, I'll leave a five-star review, but I'll say something really mean in the comments afterwards. Don't fucking bother. And keep your opinions to yourself, other than the five-star opinion. There you go. Maybe you can find the show notes on the resources page of pennyradio.co.uk. And uh, shortly, Craig will be uh, giving me his bio to uh, put up there as well. So you'll be able to uh, see Craig's spectacular life in lights. And you can either get in touch with us... <laughs> <laughs> you can either get in touch with us there or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Penny Radio Pod. That's it from me. Anything more from you, Craig? Uh, no, I'm completely out of witty rejoinders at this point of the evening. So um, five stars. <laughs> Try not to die before you've made a will. Don't lose your marbles before you've got your power of attorney sorted. Trust seemed like a good idea. And uh, make sure you get power of attorney before you lose your marbles. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Thank you for tuning in to Penny Radio. Join me next time where we'll be continuing the journey to help you master your money.